I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, the man from another place, it's Andy Greenwald! I wish e- I could say that backwards. Echo Park isn't that far from you. I'm not That's from, true. I'm not from is that, that the White from. Lodge or the Black Lodge? <laughs> I haven't been here long enough to find out. <laughs> um, Andy, today we are talking about Twin Peaks. Oh, the day has come. Something decades in the making, the mm-hmm. return, the third season, I guess. Are they calling it the third season specifically or is it like an extension of... Uh, the, I would say that they are... And I'm basing that on uh, the Showtime Anytime app, which helpfully lists the first two seasons as seasons one and two, and they're ready to slot three in there. So, yeah. That's right. Um, so, why don't we talk a little bit? We're, we're just, let's go through a little bit of news first before we get to Twin Peaks. So Twin Peaks, while its arrival is new, you know, it's, it's, it's an old show. It's a big news week. A lot's been going on. Yeah. Why don't you, you run it down? A lot of 5.45 p.m. news drops. The first thing I want to talk to you about is um, this Jimmy Kimmel, Justin Threw, uh, repertory theater Mm -hmm. treatment of ABC classic sitcoms. Uh, Incidentally, Mm -hmm. for all you podcast listeners, oh, we should say first that we were supposed to have a guest on today, but it's just me and Andy. And we're just talking about some news, some culture news, and then Twin Peaks. It's a guest we hope to have back sometime soon, but schedules got got what they were. Yeah. Uh, Podcast fans should listen to Cousin Sal's Against All Odds podcast, Mm. which is about gambling. And his most recent guest is Jimmy Kimmel. Wow. Wait, and, do those guys know each other? A little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Jimmy Kimmel and Justin Theroux from uh, The Leftovers. Can I, can I just throw something in here? This is not just Ringer Family business. Cousin Sal, very nice guy. Oh, yeah. Cousin really, Sal? Really. One deli- of the greats. I mean, I just feel like people might not know this if they've only seen him bazooka barfing on camera in yeah. Grantland videos, but he's a, he's a delightful, oh, kind yeah. guy. One of the greats. Go, go I, lo- I, love, I love Sal. Um, so... They are doing at Upfronts this week. It was announced all the new shows were sort of announced, mm-hmm. and we could kind of like talk a little bit about that loosely. Yeah, network TV looking real healthy, yeah. mighty healthy. I'm really into um, the Resident, uh-huh. uh, which is Matt Zuckery from Gilmore Girls and The Good Wife, and yeah. Bruce Davison from uh, from <laughs> from many Canadian things and X Men. Oh, uh, John from Cincinnati. Yeah, that's what he's from. That's what I've decided he's from. That's fine. And it's like starts out with Bruce Davidson is like a great surgeon who just like kills a dude while doing an appendectomy and they just cover it up for him yeah <laughs> and Matt Zuckery's like we've got to make sure this doesn't happen again it's like it shouldn't happen the first time how's that run for seven years I don't know I, I can't wait to find out <laughs> <laughs> in year seven they get to the bottom of that appendectomy but Jimmy Kimmel and Justin Theroux are doing something interesting so you have these networks are looking for event programming that is they they need you to have a reason to tune in live because right now as things get pushed out more and more. CBS has its all-access app. There's mm-hmm. the Hulu, There's Hulu. There's all these places you can find stuff streaming. And they are trying to eventize, basically, mm-hmm. any given night of the week. And, and even the most sort of seemingly pedestrian things that they have ever done, sitcoms, right? Mm-hmm. Like the most run-of-the-mill things. They are trying to basically industrialize their own intellectual property from the past. And... To that comes, I think, with Jimmy Kimmel's presence and with Justin Theroux's presence, you're going to see probably some pretty big name people yep. uh, participating in these live performances of whether it's Perfect Strangers or, you know, I, I have no idea who. What, Justin Theroux's actually been remaking Perfect Strangers on The Leftovers. I mean, that's, all, that's one of the reasons why I came up. This is to say nothing the fact that Roseanne is actually it, being revived. I, I was going to counter what you were saying. I, I had two points to that. One is, I feel like Adam Scott, who has a new show on Fox that looks funny, called Ghosted, might be a little pissed because he's been doing these things on Cartoon Network, like the greatest event in the history of television. Right, where, where he they recreates just shot for shot the credit sequence. Credits. Yeah. I feel like he's kind of like, where's my 10% of this idea? Right. But 
because redoing old shit is <laughs> he, he owns the patent. <laughs> yeah. No, but what I wanted to say was you are correct absolutely about broadcast networks wanting to eventize in order to um, get pro- I was going to say maximize profits, but just eke out profits the way they you know some way commensurate to what they had been making. But the other thing is they need known quantities, and we've this is the year where it fully happened where. Um, you know, for a lot of years, it, no, like the last few years of Grantland, when I was writing about television, I was talking about how, like, the blockbuster effect um, in cable TV, where, um, you know, once once AMC had The Walking Dead... Searching for a Walking Dead. Once you had The Walking Dead and you realized what was possible, everything was going to go big in genre and blockbuster. Sort of like the Jaws moment for 70s Absolutely, cinema. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so for people who don't know what that is, that is basically a moment in the late 70s where I think... Hollywood discovered just how much revenue or profit yeah. could be found in the movie theater if you made something that could be basically explained in one sentence. Or the poster, there's a shark. Yeah. That's it. Um, and so I was writing about the influence of movies on TV that way. As it turns out, it's broadcast TV that has become much more like the multiplex because they're basically saying, we just need IP, existing IP. They're our only way to retain viewers and to communicate to advertisers early what this is and what it could be is to basically bring things back. Mm-hmm. So obviously CBS has already been doing this, not just by continuing to make spinoffs of its existing shows, but Hawaii Five O, and this year they have SWAT, um, which I wish was just a remake of a <laughs> film. I wish they just had the original cast. I mean, oh my I wish God. it was just Farrell and Jackson, Josh Charles. One, one day, maybe a slow day this summer, we can just do a SWAT pod. Sure. Maybe we already did. We've been doing the show for a while. Yeah. Um, we any- also note every sort of development by each one of the cast members. So <laughs> it's, it's true. Um, but Roseanne is back. Will and Grace is back. American Idol, many people might not know it was gone, is back and now on ABC. And so it's it's interesting to see that Kimmel has come up with this way to sort of hit hit both sweet spots with this project. Yeah. Well, you know, to be alive in 2017 uh, is to, well, is to feel like your hair is always on fire, but is also to feel like nothing is ever really gone mm-hmm. because there are so many different avenues which... In, uh, on which someplace something can exist. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking specifically about um, the way that Netflix has acted as a uh, retirement home slash uh, rehab facility for television shows that couldn't make it in other places. I and th- that speaks to Arrested Development, which mm-hmm. is coming back for a fifth season. The season um, nobody demanded. You've got live t- TV sitcoms coming. You've got revivals of old sitcoms like Roseanne. You've well, got and, Grace, yeah. and, 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 and you know, frankly, we have Twin Peaks coming. Where so yeah. this entire so it's almost like a response to people taking television more seriously. It's like, well, how much can we take seriously? Maybe we could take Perfect Strangers seriously enough mm-hmm. to see if John Krasinski wants to come in and, and do it for a night. You know, he's I mean? actually busy with uh, uh, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan for Amazon. Can I tell you something? Yeah, I'm much more excited for that than I am for a Perfect Strangers live show. Yeah, me too. Although that is also some pretty hot IP. This kind of reminds me of when. Um, this kind of shit reminds me of like when people like fake got into hair metal, like around the time of like the Donnas. The Darkness? The, no, not even that, but just like this, like you'd be out and like, you know, people would do Poison or Bon Jovi even karaoke. Yeah. And it's not even that it's like those songs were good or bad, but there was like this sort of irony to it. Um, like we all know these were silly, but weren't they the best? Because we grew up on it, you yeah. know? And it's like. I, I kind of wonder, there was an interesting exchange. That, 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 that's, this is what you're describing is the expression I make when millennials start talking about like um, Keenan and Kel or like yeah. Nick Jr. Well, shows. I'm like, really? That's really important. So I was having this exchange today on Twitter, which I rarely 
Did do. you did you mix it up on Twitter? No, not in a like. I will meet you at your destination of choosing with guns. Like, by the way, that's not Twitter. <laughs> yeah, just in case. <laughs> step away. It's the dark net. Um, it was a, a guy hit me up and was just like, it was about the alien piece that I wrote, where I sort of ranked all these characters, and he was like, I don't think people care about this franchise, hmm. and he didn't mean it in a mean way. He was sort of saying like, this there is we have hit a point now where a lot of the stuff that you people who are in their late 30s or early 40s mm-hmm. take as well this is this is gospel yes. you've got to like you have to have yeah. seen aliens 30 times mm-hmm. and care about bill paxton and care about you know and, and and that goes all the way up through i don't know maybe even the matrix or something like that and he's like you're going to be surprised like i don't think and i asked a couple of the younger people in our office today and they were like yeah i've seen it i've seen aliens mm-hmm. it was pretty cool but like not like the way that we were obsessed with these things so i almost wonder whether or not there is a rude awakening coming for the nostalgia industry in that way. Well, I think it's twofold. Broadcast networks um, have a higher percentage of older viewers. Um, That's true. And and that is an older viewership that stays uh, an older viewership. I don't mean aging into the grave. I mean, like, we are now at our age. Well, I'm a little older than you, but uh, <laughs> six, the six months are really weighing on me this heavily is, this today. This is my favorite time of the year. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, but I'm going to start telling you about cool new music <laughs> by the way you're on the record last week you said quote into this microphone i'm not really into new music right now so i at least i have that on you but but yeah so so catering nostalgia caters to whatever generation is ready to pay for the nostalgia you know what i mean um i think that but i do think that you're right like it it it, it never really works that way mm-hmm. you know you need to have a compelling reason to do it and you know i i we're going to talk about Twin Peaks in a minute. Um, I guess I'm vaguely interested. Okay, let me, full disclosure, not at all interested. But I'm going to pretend to be kind of interested in what Will and Grace would be in 2017. I'm not. I'm not at all. Yeah. But I'm saying there is something there that could be done differently. Yeah. And they may take they may take advantage of that. We don't always need more of everything. I mean, the other thing that came out of this um, Upfronts week was that New Girl, a show that you and I have enjoyed very much. Sure. Um, starring friend of the pod, Jake Johnson. Um was about to be was basically doa was not going to come back for a final season i didn't even see the end of the season but apparently it ended they ended out in a way that could that be, could have been it yeah um and then at the last minute the two things that the two the two tracks that drive this industry finally met like literally 24 hours before um fox was going to announce what they were putting on the air and those two tracks are fox being like the ratings aren't great but it is our number one rated show comedy mm-hmm. still and Liz Merriweather, who created it, being like, "Okay, I, I, I can see something we can do, and we can." And basically, she pitched them on a prestige TV version of the show. So it's seven episodes. It's seven or eight episodes, and it's three years uh, in the future. So they've done a, a flash forward, and it, you know it, they've been, they're basically doing the reunion season right. in a way under a framework they've never done before, and that works for them. So that kind of makes sense. But everything else, you know, we don't need that much. We don't need this stuff, guys. You know, and we're going to talk about it with Twin Peaks. I realize we're segueing here. There are a couple other things we wanted to talk about, but um, no show has ever mattered more to me than Twin Peaks. And I would be okay if it never came back. You know, it's not like this is just that's why this whole thing feels like a gift. So maybe that's it's so much time has passed that people are ready to just be like, okay, this is what it is. I'm just going to say that I blame all of this sitcom revival stuff on too many cooks because everyone thought it was so clever. Mm-hmm. But basically, just playing with the yeah, it's it's a good idea teased of, out to its most mass, lowest common denominator. 
while still trying to be like, you know, is it crazy when the guy interrupts everybody? And yo, Fuller House, I swear on the graves of family members who haven't died yet, I will never watch that. But apparently it's does very well. I'm sure Netflix. it does. But I'm because not people sure don't it does. need the second layer of irony. They just want like the reason why CBS keeps making these sitcoms, yeah. the reason why Big Bang Theory keeps going, and the reason yeah. why like Bobby Moynihan is gonna play a guy who's like, Why my wife or whatever is even if it has like a Love time Bobby travel Moynihan. part, yeah. is that it's because that is a satisfying concept to yes. people. But 90- they don't necessarily need it mined as if it's Battlestar Galactic. 70% of people in the world in this country would think of TV as something you put on. And what's been interesting to note about CBS wins every year. It just wins. And at their upfront, um, I think Eric Deggins, the very good critic from NPR, asked Les Moonves, the chairman of the network, point blank, um, why do you not make any shows with women in them, basically? Like, they canceled two broke girls, so every show on their air is top-lined, I think, by a a male actor. And it wasn't so much that his response... And everyone then freaked out about his response being dismissive or not inclusive or not thoughtful... But really what struck me about the response, which w- was basically like, why are you speaking Klingon to me? Right. I speak money. And then he's like, if you like Klingon, boy, have I got a yeah, exactly. streaming star you know what I mean? so I'm, I'm not saying that to compliment him or to <laughs> yeah, say that that's the I right know. move long term, but they are not existing yes. in this world that we're discussing week to week or, or tweeting about or whatever. Right. I feel like we should also just address some news that came out today, which is that Chris Cornell, the lead singer of Soundgarden and Audio Slave died last night in Detroit. And this is really shocking and surprising to me on a number of levels. One of which is when we think of the era of which he was one of the figureheads of, it felt like the era of tragedy associated with those acts, with the dude from uh, Green River, with Kurt Cobain, obviously, that that had passed, that these were survivors, you know, and that he, and especially Chris Cornell, who I never had any interaction with, I was never even the biggest fan, but seemed like the kind of guy who, was, who had figured out how to be a mainstream rock star, separate and apart from the grunge world, the indie world, and all of the temptations of the rock and roll world that he had emerged from, which is, of course, a very um, blinkered thing to say because there are always temptations and things. You don't really actually know what anybody's thinking or going through, and it just seems like... Yeah, I mean, we, we try to uh, read so much into these people's lives, like these, you know, celebrities, like movie stars, even athletes where you just fill in these blank spaces that you don't really know about. Mm -hmm. And who knows what was going on internally with him and in his personal life. I, it's, it's really sad. He was somebody who, uh, for me, was just like an incredible bridge between contemporary music of the Mm nineties that I was listening to and classic rock that I kind of turned my nose up at, yeah. at the time, but yet he really they fit in more with that uh, that lineage than, than than the bands that they got. Yeah, in when there. Super Unknown came out, they were on the cover of Spin magazine. It's a really uh, very memorable issue for me for some reason. Is that the Jonathan Gold cover it story? It is, and it was called the article was called Hammer of the Gods, I think. But yeah. the cover line was Soundgarden kills grunge dead, mm-hmm. and it was about you know, what every grunge band seemed to have, which was this, like, incredible uneasiness with being associated with it. Even when Greg Dooley was in here a couple weeks ago, he was, like, kind of like, don't don't even bring yeah. grunge up. I asked that just, it's in passing, to yeah. dismiss it, and he wouldn't let go of that word. And so Soundgarden had way more to do with Sabbath and Zeppelin than they did with any real, like, contemporaries of theirs. I mean, they may have had an aesthetic that was, you know, could go up against Mud Honey or or... Or, or whatever, but they were definitely like much more in the tradition of a hard rock band with a blue, like a British hard rock mm-hmm. band. Um, he was one of the best vocalists of his generation, yeah. easily. I mean, you know, people do the Temple of the Dog singing as like a, 
a bit now, but like, I mean, he was in the tradition of Robert Plant. There really weren't that many better singers than him in the no, last and, 30 years. And the thing is, that's what I was thinking about was like, I always thought his voice was incredible. And I always felt like he was searching for the right use for it. He had this incredible, yeah. um, incredible instrument, but never quite found. And obviously Soundgarden was, was great at what it was and set people love I mean, you can't even overstate how crazy it was that Super Unknown took over the world. I know. Black Hole Sun was on television a hundred times a day. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in the years since, I, when you mentioned Robert Plant, I sort of was, this is a weird thing to think, but I had it, at times thought that I was almost looking forward to Chris Cornell's like late blues period where he can do like what Robert Plant is doing now and just, you know, record with bluegrass musicians or folk musicians or world musicians and then just use that instrument in a different way. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, and I say this as someone who my favorite Chris Cornell song is Like a Stone by Audio Slave. I will ride for that song. Yeah, forever. I think mine is Fell in Black Days. But that's probably a more appropriate answer. But no, I, I, that song is awesome. But I also fair. remember thinking he was sort of like a, you know, he's like a Ronin, like he's like a hired samurai, you mm-hmm. know. He was in Soundgarden, and then he, someone, some smart person, Jimmy Iovine or somebody, introduced him to the three quarters of Raging Against the Machine. It was like, okay, do this now. And then do you remember he made a record with Timbaland? I reviewed that record. Oh, yeah, I remember And it was just like, okay, he's going to do this dance funk thing now. And it was really bad. You know, it was really bad. His voice was incredible, but it was really bad. And I remember my my thought today was how uncharitable I probably was to that because he's just a guy who had this incredible gift. Yeah, and people were probably uncharitable to Audio Slave, too, because to have Cornell, it felt like like Roger Clemens joining a team in the playoffs, kind of. Like, (laughs) it it was just... uh, Rage was such a its own unit, and Zach was such a huge part of what they were. And to have you know, he obviously was kind of like, I don't really want to do this anymore. So to have Cornell slide in, it, it, you know, and, it and wasn't even like Sammy Hagar and David Lee Roth. It was like, you know, well, it was it. What it was was also smoothing out the most aggressive edge of yeah. of Rage, basically, yeah, yeah. which was Zach's vocals, right? Um, it's so it's just it, for me. I mean. This is obviously a tragedy, first and foremost, to his family and friends and fans. But it was just such a stark reminder that, you know, that people, even on this level, and it, maybe it's different for us because he was became famous when we were kids. So mm-hmm. we just were in this world where people who are famous are famous yeah. and, and they are gods that, you know, that, that he was still looking for something and yeah. going through stuff. And, and it's so important, especially as we get older when we when we engage with art to like grant people their humanity and just give them space for that you know Harvilla wrote about this today on the site where he was talking about how like Chris Cornell would have been a rock god in any like he was a rock star cut from the classic cloth he would have been a rock star in any era and at a time when a lot of why if I can just jump in a rare person who looked good with long hair and short hair. It's true. That is a very rare thing. It's and that's true. a small, small group. Uh, as all soccer players will attest. Um, <laughs> you know, he came along at a time when the idea of the rock star was being deconstructed, where the rock star was yeah. somebody who wore a cardigan and was, shy. was socially awkward. And he was like this shirtless behemoth in terms of like how he could sing. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a, a real tragedy. So let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and then when we come back, we'll talk about Twin Peaks. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by the new novel from Margaret Atwood, Hagseed. Many of us are familiar with The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. Well, now the legendary author is back with a new book called Hagseed. 
Hagseed is a dark, fantastical retelling of one of Shakespeare's most unforgettable plays, The Tempest. Delving into the constructs of family, loyalty, and ownership, Hagseed brings to life this canonical play with a modern twist sure to delight readers. Pick up a copy of Hagseed by Margaret Atwood today. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Sonos. You know how we feel about Sonos on The Watch. If if it's not coming through my Sonos, I don't even want to hear it. Shh. Shh. Everything but Sonos. Let me tell you about Playbase. So Playbase is something that just goes right underneath your television. It's like a it's a it's a home theater system, but in a very low profile design. It's made to go under television stands. So you don't have to worry about mounting, and it's very sleek. You don't even notice it. And frankly, I I'm I'm like mixed on my TV. But my Playbase makes my TV look better. I don't know how that happened. It certainly makes it sound better. No matter whether I'm listening to music, you can listen to music through your Playbase, but, or if I'm playing games, watching shows, watching movies, whatever, the Playbase makes my living room into a home theater, straight up. And it just it's so easy to put, put together. Uh, it's just one power cord and one optical cord. And the best thing about Sonos is that you don't need to sit there and unfold 20 pages of uh, a pamphlet of directions because the app just walks you through it. It's as simple uh, as anything you can do on your phone. Everything sounds better on Playbase. See for yourself, hear for yourself. Go to Sonos, S-O-N-O-S dot com to learn more. We're back. We're talking about Twin Peaks. And I can't remember the last time that you have been this sincerely and genuinely excited for a piece of culture. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, not Star Wars, not, you know, I don't even, I can't think of a show yeah. or anything that you've been like, I am so uncomplicatedly excited nothing for is more. Nothing was more important to my development as a thinker and appreciator of culture than Twin Peaks. So... We were talking a little bit in the TV section about the idea of our nostalgia, whether or not that's still a, um, yeah. an economically viable I, thing to mine. This is, uh, you, you know, but when, you, when you're talking about David Lynch, for his, probably this will be like his last great like at bat when you think about it as a filmmaker and as a storyteller. Um, not not to say anything about his health, but just like he, he's making an eighteen hour television show yep. showtime. I mean, it's it's quite a swing. Um, do you? There's no part of you that's cynical about this at all. There's no part of you that's like, will it ruin what no, I remember about no, the show? And here's why. And I and I, and we're going to talk about what the show was, what it is. It's you know, it's it's influence on TV today, how it holds up because I've been revisiting it, like many people have. Um, it doesn't matter. I would not put it in the same categories because basically this is David Lynch, one of the great American filmmakers, certainly one of the great living American filmmakers, taking 18 hours to do what he wants to do. It's been 26 years. Um, and I, and this is I say this with the full knowledge that Twin Peaks actually ended with an excruciating cliffhanger mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about. So that's inevitably going to be addressed. But it doesn't matter. After 26 years... None of it matters. It's too bad it wasn't 25 years. Well, I think there's, it's set, actually. The, the, the season before. is set okay. in 2016. But um, it's what we're getting is a gift. What we're getting is David Lynch just going for it. Okay, you know? so you're it, talking... It, it, I, I'm not thinking of it as having any legacy to live up to because it's been so much time has passed, the world is so different. And the thing, to, the thing that's really been interesting to me revisiting it is how much Twin Peaks, the original series... Um, was a harbinger for what TV is today, good and bad. 
And what I mean is the first, I think it's eight episodes, the first season, Lynch was very much involved, directed a large portion of it, and it is close to perfection. Certainly, the, you know, the first two, even first three or four. Um, so many things that we think of as the hallmarks of prestige TV are in those first few hours. The atmosphere, the idea of a, a murder upending a small community the of characters. The jarring and thus incredibly human juxtaposition of horror and humor. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not, and this is going to be a running thing throughout our conversation, I, don't, I was not emotionally prepared to appreciate the show in a lot of ways. Of I mean, course I was 13, yeah. 14. So I was just, I was, I was a fanboy, literally. Do you about think the that show, that was part of the appeal? Possibly. But what I mean is, when watching it again, the emotion is so raw. Mm-hmm. It's so intense. Um, it's a deeply romantic show. And, and romantic, but horrifying. And the pain and the anguish over this death, I mean, it's, it, it, it actually makes a lot of the stuff that we like today feel callow in a way that I didn't expect. A lot of the stuff that we ascribe to The Sopranos in terms mm-hmm. of the externalization of interior life Mm -hmm. can be seen in a much more surreal way but you know i mean i i I think that twin peaks was a real groundbreaking show in that regard and the idea of these uh characters out of almost like a twisted douglas cirque movie Mm -hmm. or like a uh, soap opera and having their interior lives and their psychologies manifested in these dreams and visions and demons and haunted uh woods and all these things that were out there that were really inside of these people mm-hmm. but also in the what mind of david lynch was probably just like no no there is a black lodge and a white lodge yeah. in the forest you know like also it was a harbinger of negative things such as the second season um there were 22 episodes in the second season now this is part of my journey of learning what taste is i loved every single one of them i worshiped the second season i was a as obsessed with it. So there's eight episodes in the first season. Eight or nine, yeah, and then 22 in the second. Mm-hmm. And David Lynch directed the 22nd. I um, was not creatively involved much in the second season. He was season. filming Wild at Heart. Right. And um, and there's like the, the, a lot of the cast in that second season was very disappointed with the way that things had sort of been handled. And, and so what it is, though, is that's what TV does. It takes things that are historically. Uh, it takes things that are fresh and interesting and surprising, and it flattens them. And it flattens them and stretches them against this... Um, you know, this, this like um, wheel of production. And so they had to have B-plots and C-plots and the Miss Twin Peaks pageant and all these other things. And then also basically a bunch of people working under deadline in L.A. trying to mimic David Lynch. And what, the reason why David Lynch's movies feel like dreams is because they don't feel like they come from our world. Mm-hmm. They, they come from someone's very subjective, weird mind. So there's a lot of like weirdness karaoke in the second season. Um, learning, realizing now that it wasn't quote unquote good, but I still loved it was very instructive to me. But also what I became obsessed with in the second season is a a thing that still runs through TV today, which is I became obsessed with the mythology. Um, Twin Peaks was so brilliant, particularly those first nine episodes, because it is about the death of Laura Palmer and the, the small town and the emotions that exist in that small town because of it. And they are people and even ones who have eye patches and Dr. Jacoby and all these weirdos they're human beings on some level, first and foremost, and that's the beauty of it. The second season started to tip further and further into what I was completely obsessed with, and you alluded to it, which is, you know, the owls are not what they seem. The, the, the darkness in the woods, the Black Lodge, the White Lodge, the mythology of these evil demons that were inhabiting people. It's kind of an amazing thing that, and we're going to spoil it, sorry. That Yeah, I mean, that, if, you, that, if you haven't watched the series or y- yeah. y- you're running out of time. You should watch so, yeah. But Laura Palmer's killer, when, is, when he's finally revealed, I mean, it was revealed early as this spiritual demon named bob Mm -hmm. which is still the scariest thing that i've ever seen in my life this guy frank silva and the way david lynch shot him as bob but the show worked on two levels 
there is a otherworldly demon that inhabited someone. And also, Laura Palmer was repeatedly uh, raped, molested, and abused by her father, who ultimately murdered her. Mm-hmm. Nothing is darker than that. No demon story. It can work as both. The problem is that as the season goes on for 22 episodes in the second season, you lose sight of the humanity. It becomes chasing the mythology and Easter eggs, um, which have haunted me. I still think about them. And I said to you before we started taping, last night I read Mark Frost, the series co-creators, Twin Peaks and Untold History, a mm-hmm. book he put out a few months ago setting up the new season i read it cover to fucking cover like this book starts with fake letters from lewis and clark to thomas jefferson about owl owl cave in washington state fake letters yeah well that's what they want us to believe um it's interesting it made me feel good for this reason it felt like mark frost was giving the fans something it felt like this book was saying Here's all the connections you were hoping to see. This is the history of the weirdness and the, the fucking Dugpas and Project Blue Book and what Major Briggs was really doing and all the stuff that as a teenage fan, and I mean that not pejoratively, but as a fanboy, basically, mm-hmm. that I was obsessed with because my guess is David Lynch didn't care about it. And that you didn't, didn't really it. have like a uh, fan industrial complex to service your interests yes. in the way that, say, Thrones so, does now. So what I think they did was they gave us that to have fun with because these hours, who knows what they're going to be. And, and that's what's so exhilarating about it because... Um, you know, if you see an article on the internet, I said this on Monday, I'm going to say it again, saying here are the questions we want answered. Fuck off. The show's not for you. It's just not. Um, some things might get answered. The book answered some things that I've been waiting on for 26 years, like who survived the bank explosion. Like they, they did some of that process stuff. Mm-hmm. But Frank Silva, who played Bob, is dead. Uh, Don Davis, who played Major Briggs, is dead. Um, many of these, uh, Jack Nance, who played Pete Martella, has died. Like they can't redo it. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of thrilling that he's just going back to this mindset and world. And it could be terrible. We should say that. It could be. So but I don't think it's going to be. There's always with Lynch this question of intent mm-hmm. in a way that, um, not not in the way that I think we ascribe to say Damon Lindelof, where we're like, you do you know what you're saying? And if you do, why aren't you being more straightforward about this at sometimes, at, at points? No one ever really asks directly, you know, what is Lost Highway about, you mm-hmm. know, or what is... Mulholland Drive. Yeah, what is Twin Peaks? Like, I, I think that the idea is that there is... A, a reading about the development of the show, and that Frost was this, I think, a Hill Street Blues writer, and that David Lynch's agents had been encouraging him to try television mm-hmm. to, be, I mean, ostensibly to probably make money. Cake up. Um and that, you know, Lynch had been through the ringer a couple of times making Dune, and he had kind of gone through the process of of trying to execute a more mainstream vision. Work but for to someone else, yeah. Put this on ABC after, uh, I didn't know about this, but that Bob Iger, who now is arguably the most powerful person in the entertainment industry. President of, of Disney. Yeah. Um, he, they, 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 they did this, they, they pitched it, they said, it's Who Killed Laura Palmer, basically, is set in the Pacific Northwest. It's a murder mystery set in a small town in the Pacific Northwest. And they're like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Why don't you go make an episode? Correct me if I'm wrong. They made the two-hour pilot. Right. Which they then released as a film in Europe. Right. And for a long time, that was the only thing you could rent at West Coast Video by my house, which I did multiple times. Right. And And that, quote-unquote, ends the story. When there was some trepidation about going to series, Iger came in and showed the pilot to a younger audience yes. who immediately gravitated towards it. And so for as much as Lynch at that time period was using signifiers of like 1950s cool, you mm-hmm. know, and James Marshall looks like James Dean, he rides a bike. And even, yeah. you know, Bobby is kind of like this iconic, you know, 1950s Grey Ghost football player kind he's of guy. Also, he's, he's also Reggie Mantle. And, yeah. And there, we have Betty and Veronica and yeah, it's all there. 
they it, it felt very hip. It felt very like of the moment yeah. uh, at that time. Um, and then and Iger, Iger moved forward with it. And it was such a, an incredibly brave show to put on ABC. There was like it, nine shows back then. It's, it's, One of them was Twin it's Peaks. It's really hard to explain this to people, that this was a national phenomenon for those first eight or nine episodes. Mm-hmm. Everyone was obsessed with it. And it's really, in retrospect, it's not hard to see why. Because, I mean, first of all, the first thing you're going to see if you haven't gone back and watched it in a while or if you've never seen it, um, the opening credits are the slowest thing that anyone in 2017 will ever see on television. It lingers on a fucking, uh, like, saw blade for about a full 40 seconds. Right, because he's like, I want to hear my music. Begins. Play my music. Well, because the Bottle of Menci score is still all-timer. But it, it feels completely of a different era now. But when you watch it, it's so alive. Mm-hmm. It is so joyful and that's hard to say in an episode where the main character doesn't show up until 36 minutes in uh, agent cooper where the opening moments are devoted to the discovery of a body and then very quickly thereafter the reaction of the parents but buried in there if you remember it starts with with pete martell being like she's dead wrapped in plastic on the phone but first he calls harry truman the sheriff and he gets lucy the ditzy receptionist and there's this whole thing where she's like i'm going to transfer the call to the red phone the one by the couch not that one and you're like wait what what is this? Because he made room for life. Yeah. And I feel like that's what stood out from TV at the time and still does. There's a moment that I obsessed over because, Chris, I fucking made a fanzine in my middle school computer lab for the show. What was it show. called? I, I, I tried to find it, actually. I have it. I'm going to find it and put a picture of this on the internet at some point because I need to admit who I am and who I always have been. But I don't remember what it was called. But uh, probably Twin Peaks Gazette or something. I just but, I can't I can't tell you how but, much fun it is to like. Usually you're like Dikembe Mutombo finger waving in the face <laughs> of all these show, so, shows, and now you're just like almost crying what, with what joy. I, what I want to say is in the in the one of the first shots at the Twin Peaks High School before, as the news begins to spread or before the news spreads about Laura Palmer's death. I think there's a there's this great scene where Audrey Horn and um, uh, Donna Hayward, Lara Flynn Boyle, and Sherilyn Fenn, but reverse that. Have the, they cross, basically. Donna sees that Audrey is smoking a cigarette in the hallway, and they give each other a look. And they both close their lockers, and they walk away. And behind them, just some extra basically moonwalks out of the frame. And I'm like, why? But how wonderful. There's a scene when they're first looking at Laura Palmer's body. This is just me fully going for it now. And the fluorescent light is flashing, which mm-hmm. foreshadows a lot of the, the Black Lodge stuff that comes later. And... Uh, Cooper's about to look under Laura Palmer's fingernail, and it's just still really gnarly for television. But he's looking for something, um, looking for something that was left there by the killer. And Which he, is in Firewalk With Me. We find out about Teresa Banks. And, and all the, yeah. But yeah, and all the backstory to it. And, and we should talk about that movie too. But the guy, the, the, the guy who plays the lab tech or the, the mortician or whatever is like, he has a line, and his line is, sorry about the lights, I think it's a fluorescent. And then uh, Kyle MacLachlan has a line, which is, um, could you leave us, please? And he says, could you leave us, please? And the lab tech goes, Jim. And there's this pause, and McLaughlin goes, could you leave us, please? And he goes, oh, yes, of course. And I, you know, of course, because I read all this stuff later, the guy just didn't hear him. And he just said his name because he got nervous. But Lynch kept that in. There's this room for for life, basically, in the show that many people, in retrospect, think was about death. And what's exciting to me about that is Lynch is back. This is a 18-hour David Lynch movie, basically, which is cause for joyful celebration. It's it's really. It, it, what's also surprising is if you if you do make it through multiple episodes in the second season, there's a lot of good stuff there, and there's a lot of stuff that's not good. 
Um, the last two episodes, I don't know if you remember this. I re- reminded we, myself today. Were you watching at the time? Because the second season, the ratings no. cratered and cratered and cratered. I was already partying with him. And the- <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, inviting people over for Twin Peaks Club to watch every episode, so that explains a lot. But um, we, but they they basically pulled the show from the schedule and then aired the last two episodes on one night after the season had ended in like May or June. After everyone all to the other burn shows it or to, 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 to build up to burn it because they had already revealed the like who killed Laura. Laura yeah, Palmer. they did that in like episode seven or eight of the second season. Right. Um, this was on to the second stuff, and with, that was something with, that Lynch never wanted revealed. Yeah, he's not interested in answers, yeah. which is why TV, in, as it was made, and then, it was, you was killed never the right goose for him. that laid the golden eggs, or something like that. Was that was his sort of quote about that, or something? And he was kind of right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second season was Winda Merle, Cooper's old uh, uh, mentor, coming to town and causing havoc and trying to get to the Black Lodge and blah blah blah. And if you watch the second to last episode, it does feel like Twin Peaks karaoke, setting up the events of the finale. Lynch came back for the finale, and all of a sudden the cameras in the corner. Of the of the sheriff's department, just looking down on them from like like it's some kind of tarantula, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, this is right. It's like listening to someone speak a language badly. Yeah. And the finale, I stand by, is one of the most. I mean, it rocked my world and made me insane. But it was it's also incredible and beautiful and haunting. And it ends in this truly insane cliffhanger, right? Where the hero becomes the devil. Where uh, at the end of at the end of it, Cooper escapes from the Black Lodge, rescues Heather Graham who plays his girlfriend. Annie Blackburn. Right? Annie Blackburn. Fun fact, Heather Graham was brought onto the show because after sharing a few scenes together, it was obvious that McLaughlin, who was dating Lara Flynn Boyle at the time. And that had, was controversial, right? Well, because they were supposed to have McLaughlin be with Cheryl that, Lee for a while. No, so, no, so McLaughlin and Sherilyn Fenn, who played Sherilyn Audrey Fenn, Horn, right. had incredible chemistry. It was just like off the charts when they were together. Sherilyn Fenn was 25, but playing 17. And McLaughlin, by the way, was 32 playing this FBI agent, which is insane. But they were like, well, we can't do this because she's in high school. So they had to bring in a love interest for it. But her. that's not... There's also the like the version of it that's... Lara Flynn Boyle did not want that to happen because she was too. dating Kyle MacLachlan at is the time. Is she back for the... Is Lara Flynn Boyle back? I don't know. She was so good. Um, uh, she didn't come back for the movie. Anyway, a, it ends just... you know. So it ends with this killer Bob. Dale, has, Dale Cooper smashes his head against the bathroom mirror says, after he's like, Annie? oh, is, 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 is Annie okay? Where's Annie? Yep. Then he goes How's in the Annie? bathroom, brushes his teeth, hits his head against the mirror and says, what about Annie? And it's clear that he's become possessed by Bob. It, and I have to tell you, listener something. Or his doppelganger. 14 year old. Well, he's tra- good. The good Dale is trapped in the lodge. Here's how I know this stuff. I fucking, when I went to New York with my parents at age like 15 or whatever, you know those dudes on Mercer Street who sold scripts? <laughs> yeah. You, know those dudes? you were partying, so you knew about those dudes. They, like, sold scripts because you couldn't get them online. You sure. You like, buy a binder. Yeah. They had the shooting script for Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me, which I, yeah, I bought it. And in the original shooting script of the prequel film that was unfairly savage when it came out, and it's kind of amazing now, um, there was a bunch of stuff continuing the story a little bit. And it had, like, this flashback with Annie Blackburn being, like, the good Dales trapped in the lodge. You have to help him. Blah, blah, blah. But at that moment, I was like, this is the most critical thing of my life. What is going to happen to this hero? And it was never going to be answered. Well, so, it is now. <laughs> yes, and so that's why I have these weird mixed feelings about it, where it's like... No, you don't. You're, well, you're, no, I'm, I'm, yeah. oh, I don't have mixed feelings about the show. I almost don't care. And so my only, my only concern, honestly, is how much of the business of these 18 hours are, well, here's what happened to the good deal in the lodge. Like, let's just go. You yeah. know what I mean? Let's just 
get fucking weird. So they have not sent out any screeners. No, they are not. It arrives in a very different television landscape with a very different demographic of people who are watching shows on Sunday in terms of of, there's an amazing John Leonard piece that Vulture ran from 1990 that's about his phone ringing off the hook at 10 p.m. every whatever night it was on. Was it on Tuesdays or Wednesdays? Thursdays. Thursdays? He's like, Thursday at 10, immediately my phone starts ringing Mm -hmm. because people want to talk about who killed Laura Palmer. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we've talked about this a lot. Part of the reason why we even made up the fake TV belt was so that we could give it to things that we felt like had entered into a level of cultural conversation, which is so increasingly rare with television in this day and age. I mean, you have shows that are popular and good to, to be popular and good now is is increasingly rare. Exactly right. Uh and and it's in, it's it's more and more limited to things like thrones that that somehow manage to balance both. But but, we, but we're here giving the belt to the leftovers which is, seems to now be only watched uh by the people who has written for TV critics. Right. So it will be interesting to see. I can't wait to talk to you on Monday about this because I I want to I just I want to see the the that before and after shot. It's really speaking of before and after shots. It's pretty wild to see cast photos because the other thing about the show is there are people who were on it who went on to do other things um, and continue to work regularly. Obviously, Kyle MacLachlan has been fine, um, but there are other people who were so electric on the show, like Dana Ashbrook, who played Bobby Briggs. Mm-hmm. I assume he's been working. I don't know what he's been doing. And all of a sudden he's back on Good Morning America because like he's back in the show and Lynch gave him a lot to do. James Marshall, in my Twin Peaks Gazette fanzine, like I had a little like ticker on the side of little tidbits I'd picked up from Premiere Magazine. Like James Marshall. Like news and notes. Yeah. Like announcing that he would be starring in the film Gladiator. Yeah, man, that was supposed to be a big deal. Gladiator was like an MMA movie from like 1992. Um a lot of these people just, I, maybe they stopped working or they've just been in B-movies or who knows what they've been doing. And all of a sudden it's just like, Lynch is like, let's go. Yeah. Plus, let's everyone else who's potentially weird in the world and the fucking chromatics, and like, let's just get in on this. No one knows what this is. I think they're premiering an episode. Are they doing it at Cannes? And they're showing... Oh, I don't even they're know. They're having a screening in LA on my birthday tomorrow, which would have been too perfect. But we're, I'm going to watch... For the, the majority of everyone in the industry is watching it for the first time. And what I'm curious about more than like what happened to Dale Cooper and how this is going to play is, is if, if does, is this what it is, does, is Twin Peaks still what it always was, which is just out of step with everything. And so it won't be treated with this, um, with the nostalgia, mm-hmm. with the nostalgia police basically being like, this didn't deliver the experience I want. This is instead just this bizarre gift floating from god knows where i can't wait to talk about it uh we'll be back on monday we'll talk twin peaks probably talk leftovers we'll probably talk whatever else comes across the 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 transom wire the owls are not what they seem until then Thanks again to Sonos for sponsoring today's episode of The Watch. The Playbase will turn your living room into a home theater with one optical cord and one power cord and one app. 
straight up, it's amazing. Goes underneath your television. It's made to be put under uh, television stands. You don't have to worry about mounting. You don't have to worry about drilling anything to anything or hiding wires or whatever. It's so simple. Once you get it connected, you just use your app, your Sonos app, to figure out just to set it up. It's a smooth, easy way to go from having flat sound to full sound, man. It is makes games, it makes movies, it makes television shows all come to life. I can't tell you how cool it is to just be sitting there watching stuff on Turner Classic or watching HBO shows or whatever, and it just blows out the sound in a way that has changed the way I watch shows. You can even listen to music when it's off. It acts as a streaming device. Let me tell you, everything sounds better on Playbase. See for yourself, hear for yourself. Go to Sonos.com to learn more. That's S-O-N-O-S.com. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Margaret Atwood's Hagseed, a new novel from the author of The Handmaid's Tale. Hagseed is a dark, fantastical retelling of one of Shakespeare's most unforgettable plays, The Tempest. It revolves around one betrayed man's plot for vengeance, a scheme as innovative as it is deadly, set within the confines of a prison rather than an island. Delving into the constructs of family, loyalty, and ownership, Hagseed brings to life this canonical play with a modern twist sure to delight readers. Of this latest work, Elle magazine says the visionary Atwood's daring and elaborate 21st century take on The Tempest will make you shiver and squirm with dread, wonder, and delight. Meanwhile, the Boston Globe notes that part Shakespeare, part Atwood, Hagseed is a most delicate monster, and that's delicate in the 17th century sense. It's delightful. Pick up a copy of Hagseed by Margaret Atwood today. <laughs> 